0: Hello, this is Jeff Otis, partner at Evergreen GovCal, and you're listening to Coffee with Evergreen on the Evergreen Exchange. I hope you enjoyed this 25-minute conversation between myself and Evergreen co-CIO and fellow partner, Jeff Dix. And as always, thanks for listening.
1: Hey, listener, this episode requires an extra disclosure. Jeff Otis is an employee and partner of Evergreen GovCal. All views and opinions expressed by Jeff and any guest of the podcast are solely the individual's views and do not necessarily reflect the views of Evergreen GovCal. Evergreen GovCal's clients may hold securities mentioned in this podcast at any given time. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions or be considered investment advice. Enjoy the episode.
0: Okay, Jeff Dix, welcome back to the podcast. Good to have you back on. Thanks for having me, Jeff. How's summer been for you guys with uh, with the little one? You guys went back to New York for a little bit, didn't you?
2: Yep. Visited our in-laws in New York. A little different with the baby, but a working trip. But it was a lot of fun. Um, let's get into it. So let's yep. talk about interest rates. Um,
0: since March, uh, in, uh, inflation rates have moved up from, I think, like around... 1.5% to over five. Yep. Uh, and meanwhile, yep. the 10-year the, the treasury has gone from 1.8% down to 1.35%. And that's not necessarily the relationship that you'd be taught, uh, you know, like in an econ 101 class. So, can you
2: explain what's happening here maybe touch on our outlook for interest rates? Sure, uh, and and we didn't necessarily see that big drop coming, but uh, you know it is odd. And, you know, not only is inflation running very hot currently, we also have very strong earnings growth, uh, economic growth has been very robust. Um, so generally, in those type of environments, interest rates tend to trend higher. But I think there's a few things at work here. You know, first, the Fed is still buying 100. 20 billion bonds a month. That's about $1.5 per year, so there's a a tremendous amount of demand for bonds simply from the Fed. There's also a lot of rebalancing that's happened. Um, Equities have had a really good run over the last few years. Since pre-pandemic, the S&P is up uh, over 40%. That's including the 30% drawdown. If you actually look back to the March lows, When a lot of funds were rebalancing back towards equities, the S&P is up over 100%. So a lot of the institutional asset managers, you know, pension funds, insurance companies, they tend to rebalance towards their target allocations. So with this move up in in equities, a lot of these managers are selling equities and buying bonds. Uh, In addition. With the move up in rates earlier this year, a lot of uh, areas across the world, in Europe, in Asia, like Japan, they could buy treasuries, hedge their currency, and generate a higher yield than their local government. So, you have had some international demand as well. Um, That hasn't been the case in a while, where you could hedge your currency and get higher rates in the U.S. Also, major impact has, of course, been the Delta variant, the concern that we see more restrictive stance by governments in terms of reopening. Um, We've seen a spike in hospitalization rates in some of the areas with lower vaccination rates. Um, that has caused some of the inflation measures, particularly the the longer term inflation outlooks, to come down, uh, and interest rates have certainly followed. And then also, you know, bonds did get oversold. Uh, you know, we had a big move up in bond yields, you tend to get counter trend rallies. We think it's likely rates move up from here over the next few months, even through 2022. It's our expectation the Delta variant spike we have seen will begin to recede. Uh, we think vaccination rates around the globe will continue to increase, particularly in emerging economies. So we're optimistic that the economy earnings growth should be strong. We think interest rates should, should eventually and even near term grind higher. And then, you know, on top of that, the Fed will eventually begin to taper back its purchases. That'll remove some demand from the market. So it's likely, you know, we start to see rates move back up.
0: Okay, so given rates are so low still, uh, like how are we positioning our income portfolios today?
2: Yeah, so we still have a pretty aggressive tilt within our income portfolios you know we hold a, a bit over 30% in equity income securities in our traditional income portfolios but before we get into the equity income side on the bond side we're staying very short in terms of our duration or our maturity profile for our bonds you know we're focusing more on short-term bonds you know the yield curve's very flat at this point uh, and we are concerned with rising interest rates so we're we're, we're primarily holding bonds that are shorter in maturity you know we're able to get you know in the one plus range in terms of in terms of yield uh, we're also matching that with a lot of floating rate bond exposure. About a third of our corporate bond portfolio uh, are bonds tied to interest rates, so those tend to hold up much better in a rising interest rate environment. you know if the Fed does uh, raise short term rates eventually, we think that's a ways out. Um, these bonds tend to hold up much much better in a rising interest rate environment they actually pay you a higher cash flow. Um, so you're you're a little bit more insulated from rising interest rates, um, but as mentioned, we are much more aggressive in terms of our exposure. We have about 30% equity income securities. If you look at that blend, When you say equity 50%. income? What do you mean by that? Yeah, so equities that pay a dividend, uh, a dividend, and and we own you know blue chip value stocks. We have a lot of financials. Um, financials uh, are very highly correlated to interest rates. So if interest rates move up, financials tend to do better. That generally means growth is picking up. Uh, you know, loan books tend to be more healthy. Um, they're able to lend at a higher spread. Um, generally speaking, higher interest rates benefit financials. Um, but we also h- hold you know a fair amount of just value stocks that trade at reasonable valuations. Uh, they tend to pay you know in the two to four percent dividend yields. Most of the dividend-paying value stocks we own, value stocks tend to, to outperform in a higher growth environment. We do expect the growth profile for the economy to be solid this year and next year. Um, So, In addition, we own about 8% in REITs. Half of that are mortgage REITs, half of that are equity REITs, Uh, so the mortgage REITs hold mortgage debt. Uh, We think that area also uh, hedges you well in a rising interest rate environment where these mortgage REITs are able to generate higher spread, Um, but we also think real estate should perform well in this environment. Uh, we own a lot of multi. We own several multifamily REITs. Uh, we think rental rates are going to head higher. Uh, multifamily REITs have had really good fundamentals over the last several quarters. We think that should continue. Um, and then, in addition, we own about 10% in midstream energy securities. Um, this area has been highly volatile, um, but it's been a great place to be invested over the last eight months with the reopening. The sector trades very cheap. A lot of the the companies in the sector have repaired their balance sheets. The distribution coverage ratios have increased. And and we think it it should be a, a really good place to be invested as our economy continues to reopen, as energy demand snaps back. Um, so generally speaking, we hold a fairly aggressive income portfolio. Um, if you look at the Barclays AG. The Barclays AG, which is the fixed income benchmark that we use, yields about 1.35%. Our income portfolios today are yielding around 4%, so we feel really well positioned over the next, say, three to five years to generate outsized income, but also some capital appreciation with some some of the equity areas we're invested in. Um, so we, we feel pretty solid with how we're positioned on the income side currently.
0: So follow up question on that. You compared yields uh, between Barclays and our income portfolio. Do you off the top of your head know average like duration of Barclays versus our income portfolio? Sorry to put you on the yeah, spot. Yeah, the
2: Barclays Ag is roughly around six years last time I checked. In terms of our bond portfolio, our our bond portfolio duration's around three years. And just to put that number into perspective, if interest rates were to go up 1%, the duration is about how much a bond would fall. So if interest rates go up 100 basis points or 1%, the Barclays Ag would fall by 6%. Um, so our bond portfolio is far less sensitive to a rise in interest rates. And, and then, in addition, given our higher cash flow, that also creates a buffer there in terms of kind of the the protection uh, relative to a rise in interest rates as well.
0: So, okay, if I was going to recap for the listener, right, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners who are like, got everything he just said, and then there's going to be a bunch of others that are like, okay, can someone help? Uh, you know, give me the Reader's Digest or the Cliff Notes on that one. So, what I'm hearing is. In order for us to you know and this is what we do right we 're tactical and we're active, this is why clients hire us, but for us to boost yields and you know aka what we think of you know longer term returns instead of reaching into junkier credits on the fixed income side of the bond side or extending duration, we're actually adding selectively to areas on the equity side uh, that we think give us a better like risk return profile ahead.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right, Jeff. I think that was a really good okay. summary. and. You know, we're also going into the private credit space, which is an interesting area. Um, we launched our first fund this year. Uh, you know, the private credit space has never had a five-year negative rolling return. Uh, you're able to, you know, these the areas we're investing in historically have, have generated eight plus type net IRRs. Uh, We think a lot of the the underlying loans for private credit are floating rates, so tend to perform very well in a rising interest rate environment. Uh, We hope to continue to roll out um, offerings in that space, but that's also an area that we think should perform very well over the next several years, in addition to the equity income securities and short-duration assets on the bond side, floating rate bonds as well. So, we're... You know with with investment grade corporate bonds yielding around two or under in many cases, we're we're using a different playbook than we have historically. Uh, and we think it should perform well in this type of environment where it's very hard to achieve a livable income uh, you know on the bond side. Follow-up question again, uh,
0: because I think there's a lot of listeners that are, I'm sure, going to be very intrigued uh, with what you're talking about, and we don't get into the weeds on this side very often, so it, it, I just want to do one more follow-up, and then we're going to move on to a last question, but follow-up on what you just sure. said. Uh, listeners gonna is gonna hear us talking about our income portfolios, and I would think in large part, and most might assume, oh, they're talking about their fixed income portfolio, right? AKA their bond portfolio. And then as you start describing what we're doing, it's obvious that we're not running just fixed income, right? It's it's more of like a diversified income approach. Um, yep. So I'm wondering, are there is there like a and so they're going to hear, right? As you know, because this is what you're saying, that there's an equity portion to our to our income portfolios, which is exactly true. Sure. But is there any yep. sort of cap or threshold that you're comfortable going to on the equity side as part of our, you know, allocation for the for the income strategy? You know, like twenty percent, thirty percent, forty percent. you know what I mean. Yeah.
2: Yep, yep. I'd say 40% is, is, is the max that we'd, we'd likely go on the, the equity income side. Uh, but, you know, we it, we don't necessarily have a, a mandate. It's not a hard rule. It's just a number that we've kind of discussed over time. And it depends on the environment. Sometimes we'll hold, you know, far fewer equities depending on the environment. If, if we think, you know, a recession is looming, we might bring that number down to 10. We might increase our high-quality debt heading into 2020. We had about 40% in, you know, government-type bonds with moderate to longer duration that would benefit from a recessionary environment where long-term interest rates came down. Obviously, we're not positioned for that today, but it just highlights that we're going to we're going to adjust that equity mix based on the environment today. You know, we do think economic growth is going to be strong. We think it makes sense to hold a higher proportion of equity income securities given kind of the return profile for for the bond market but also the the risk profile for for the overall market as well so again to highlight
0: i mean because this is going to be so fascinating for so many that they're going to hear um that we really are active, right? And that's ultimately, I think, why clients hire us is because this is what we do. uh, And this is what they're looking for, is for a team that follows markets closely, and then, you know, uh, makes bets, right? Like, what area do we like versus what area do we don't like? So, I'm curious, um, going into 2020, off the top of your head, do you know, and I get this is broadly speaking, right? You know, each each client would have to, like, go in and, and make sure, right? But broadly speaking, do you know, threshold roughly of how much we had in equity income securities going into the sell-off in March and then, you know, how much of that you kind of like bought up during during that 30, 35, 40% correction?
2: Yeah, I'd say most clients were under 20% equity income securities at that point. Um, And then during the sell-off, we... Fairly aggressively rotated in the stocks, REITs. We added to midstream securities. Um, we were very aggressive on the bond side as well. Uh, Jeff, as you know, is the highest turnover year I think we've ever had at Evergreen in our entire history. Um, you know, income portfolios had over 40% turnover. But on the bond side, we were very aggressive as well. We sold a lot of our CDs. We sold a lot of our high-grade debt. Uh, we bought up high yield, we bought up investment grade. At one point the investment grade ETF was down 20%. We also were pretty heavily invested in investing in preferred stocks on the way down. The preferred stock ETF was down over 30. So it was just a, a phenomenal opportunity to lock in yield, uh, to buy uh, you know these bonds with not only very high yields, particularly relative to the environment today, but also a lot of upside for the price as well. So it you know, the turnover is very high, but we did head into it, you know, with some equities, so it was painful on the way down, but being able to rotate, we had a very, very good year last year during two thousand twenty, despite the thirty percent pullback in the market, which certainly hit our equity income securities and it hit a areas we were buying to on you the way down. It. Yeah but gave you that golden buying opportunity? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Anyways, if you're listening to this, you're like, wow, that's fascinating. You know, my my portfolio manager doesn't do it that way, or or I don't do it that way, and I'm interested in working with you guys. Obviously, you can you can reach out and see if and see if that's a fit. So, last question, and then we'll get you out of here. What are the biggest risks facing financial markets now, and
2: do we anticipate a major correction near term? Yeah, I think there's several. Risk facing the market, I think probably the biggest risk facing the market is a major move up in interest rates. There's so much debt in the economy, there's so much debt even at the corporate level, a major move higher in interest rates would be very problematic. Both for, obviously for income portfolios because bond prices come down in that environment, but also for equity portfolios, um, valuations are very stretched right now. If, say, interest rates moved up given higher inflation or even Fed policy tapering, raising interest rates, uh, valuation on equities are likely to come down. For now, we think interest rates trend higher, but we're not necessarily anticipating a uh, you know, a major move up, say straight to three percent on the ten-year. You know, some around two percent. Uh, interest rates are probably not too damaging to our portfolios. But as mentioned, we hold several positions that benefit from a higher interest rate environment. Uh, we own a lot of financial equities. Uh, we own a lot of resource-based equities that tend to do well in an inflationary and in a higher interest rate environment. You know, the mortgage rates also benefit. As I mentioned, so I think we're we're fairly well positioned for a moderate uh, increase in interest rates, but a major increase in interest rates would be a major risk. We're watching that very closely. Um, another risk is the Delta variant, or even a new variant uh, that would emerge that would cause further lockdowns, restrictions, and that's probably the biggest near-term risk. Um, we've seen a spike uh, you know, in hospitalizations, particularly in areas with lower vaccination rates. Um, we have seen some positive data lately, which is uh, nice to see, uh, you know, the one-week average uh, COVID infections in Arkansas is down a half a percent. Arkansas saw a pretty big spike in Louisiana. New new daily cases are down 14% from a week ago. So some of these areas that have seen the spike have started to recede a bit. Our anticipation is over the next uh, couple months you start to see rates come down. I think at this point the Delta news is probably hopefully near as bad as it gets. So, you know, we're optimistic on that side as well. The next is tax policy, and that's maybe not a one month or two months issue but over the next several quarters maybe the next few years you know the corporate tax rate under the Trump administration moved down to 21% the Biden administration is proposing that go up to 28% that could be somewhat challenging for US corporations uh, at least relative to international we could lose a relative advantage there you know personal income tax rates are also likely to head higher so that could also cause some weakness over time that's something you know we're watching and and is a little bit concerning but overall, for now, we're not anticipating a major bear market like 2020 or 08, 09. You know, Major bear markets tend to occur when the Fed is aggressively tightening, when the money supply is shrinking, during economic recessions. Uh, today, the Fed is still highly accommodative. There's so much liquidity in the system. Consumers have a ton of excess savings. So, there's a lot of pent-up demand still. We think economic growth is going to be strong over the next few quarters, well into 2022, possibly 2023. Um, with that said, we, we're overdue for a correction. We haven't had one for a while. We've had a major run-up since the 2020 lows. So a correction is... You know, likely to happen at some point. Um, we've been slowly de-risking our portfolios around the edges, but as mentioned, we're still much more aggressive than we were heading into 2020, given the the outlook that we don't have that major bear market. But we have, you know, when when areas move up significantly, we trim them. We've brought down risks slightly. If we were to get a moderate pullback, call it five percent, ten percent, we would use that as a buying opportunity. If markets pulled back for whatever. Reason 15 to 20 percent, uh, we would get even more aggressive. We do have a fair amount of cash equivalents in our portfolio, short term bonds. That area can be used to rotate into higher risk areas, both on the income side and the equity side. So we feel like we're well positioned for a correction that we would use as a buying opportunity. Uh, you know, our portfolios might not be as well positioned for a bear market, a major bear market, but we're not necessarily anticipating that, at least right now.
0: Good stuff, man. I mean, I was coming to these podcasts with you, hoping to keep them brief. Like, okay, I got three questions prepared. And then as you start talking, I'm like, oh, clients are going to want to know about this. And then, oh, I know clients are going to wonder about this. And so we end up running, like it's always 20 or 25 yeah. or 30 minutes with you, but it's always really good
2: stuff. And uh, anyway, so I appreciate you jumping on with us, Jeff, Jeff, how about a bonus question for you today? Fire away. So I, we've obviously been working together for almost a decade. You've been here I think what 15 years. That's right. They're coming up on 15. It's been pretty you know impressive with your, you know, performance recently. You know, your book of business I believe just crossed over 500 million and you've just had a tremendous amount of success. Especially over the last few years, and congrats on that. What would you say in that role? Um, We have a lot of listeners, I'm sure, in client relationship, you know, in a client relationship role, looking to bring on new business. What would you say has made you successful in your role over the last few years?
0: Yeah, good question. I mean, I mean, uh, all of us have different roles at the firm, right? I mean, your your uh, your your job is is helping manage portfolios, and my job is really helping manage clients, right? So, um, I mean, the easy answer, I guess, to that one in terms of like our my my success at the firm is it's nice to work with people like you who are really bright, right? So, uh, you know, we we got a really really good investment team uh, that I get to represent and that are overseeing all the investment decisions of our of our you know of our client portfolios. So, I mean, that's, that's the first part, right? Um, I mean, I think I would also add you know, I I picked maybe the right firm at the right time. You know, there there's so many trends in our industry in terms of fee compression and and simplification and, and even you know kind of like adding a, a layer you know layers of services um, you know that we've that we've uh, that we've done right. So instead of just being an asset manager, also having the financial planning and the tax services included allows us to be you know a, like one stop shop, which I think a lot of people are now looking for. So I mean, there's some of those like industry tr- trends that are benefiting us. And I think, uh, will only continue to benefit us. So those things really, really help, uh, you know, but then like me versus anyone else in this role, uh, you know, like maybe what, what do I do that I think really helps. So, you know, I I think maybe three things jump out. So one, like, just be yourself, right. You have to be authentic in this role. I think, I think people know if you're being fake and phony. I also think people know if, If, uh, you know, you're like, you know, faking it until you make it sort of a thing, like you hear that uh, thrown around to anybody that's younger in this, in any industry, like, okay, just kind of like act the part, right, until, until you get things going. But I don't think that works in our industry. I think our clients are too bright and too successful and they see right through that. And so I think what our clients really appreciate is a more authentic approach and just, hey, this is, you know, this is who I am. This is what I'm all about. And so I think that's worked really well. And, and I'm not going to change. I mean, that's just who I am. And so I'm I'm glad that works. Maybe in this role, the, the second thing that jumps out is I think that you have to find a way to provide value, right? So in you know in my role, it's like what can I do and what can our firm do to make our our clients' lives easier? Well, you know, how can we help simplify? Uh, and my new favorite term is how can we drive clarity? So. I do think that clients look at us and, and they're like, okay, you're going to be a partner of mine that's going to make my life better in some way or easier in some way. But I think you have to execute on that. So, I mean, I spend all yeah. all day every day trying to help clients with, with that type of a thing and that matters to me, right? Like I really, really enjoy helping people. I like fixing problems. Uh, you know, I like solving, yeah. solving needs and all that. Um, the last thing that I think I would, I would throw in there, is like you know coming to this realization over time that like not everyone can be or probably you know will be a a good client Like, and so just to focus on fit, like, is it truly the right fit? And if not, don't force it. Right. And I think that took me a while to learn, you know, like early in my career, I was like, oh my gosh, you're, you're like excited about talking about investing, like let's work together. You know what I mean? And I think over time you realize like, oh, that person actually is a terrible client, right. For all these reasons. And then you have all these other relationships that become amazing clients and people that you want to duplicate. And like, I want to work with more people like you and things like that. So I think it's helped after 15 years, really, like, navigate through, like, the filtering process of, like, are you going to be someone that is really, like, core to what we're all about and see the world the way we do and are going to appreciate the way that we go about it? Or, you know, are we really trying to, like, you know, force whatever it is, you know, a square peg in a round hole? Uh, and, you know, those things can, maybe they, maybe they can work for a month or two or three, but, like, you know, it's not going to work long term. So, I think just being yeah. being uh, willing to call it, call it the way it is early. So... I think those are the things that probably jump out to me the most. <laughs> but I appreciate you asking.
2: No. Um no, like that's said, interesting. Yeah, that's interesting well. stuff. Yeah. No, that's great, Jeff. And for me, we're mostly working on the investment side. It's, it's nice to hear that, and um, it's been it's been great to work here and work with you. Sure, man. Um, okay, well, let's get back. We'll get you back
0: on. Uh, again, appreciate all your time today, and uh, thanks, thanks again. Yep. Thanks, Jeff.
1: Evergreen GovCal is a wealth management firm with offices in Bellevue, Washington, Portland, Oregon, and California's Bay Area. We provide investment management, tax compliance, family office, and retirement planning services. Evergreen is accepting applications for new clients who align with our firm's investment and planning approach. If you think you might be a fit with us, follow the link in the show notes to fill out our prospective client compatibility survey.